0: We're as strong as our weakest state because as long as this virus is proliferating and it's out, then it, it will continue to hurt everyone.
1: Welcome to the NIAC podcast, everybody. Uh, I'm Mona Mosatabi, the communications director here at NIAC, and I'm with Jamal Abdi, our wonderful president who's been at NIAC for like a decade, knows it in and out. Uh, for those of you who don't know much about NIAC, we are the National Iranian American Council, and we are dedicated to building political power for the Iranian American community uh, as a means of advancing peace and diplomacy, securing equitable immigration. and protecting the civil rights of all Americans. And so what with everything going on now in the world and this move to go digital, it seemed like a great time to launch this podcast. And so Jamal, I know you're excited about this.
2: Yeah, it's the future, podcasting. There aren't enough podcasts. I think now that everybody is indoors, there's gonna be like a million podcasts. And thank you, mom, for listening to this this one.
1: Um, I'm expecting to get a lot of WhatsApp messages later once we publish this. So it'll be good. It'll be good from, who? from all of my family. My mom will no doubt send this to everybody she works with as well. It's <laughs> my daughter, guys. We're a
2: Built-in constituency.
1: We do a built-in constituents. Persian parents are the best cheerleaders anyone could ask yeah. for.
2: <laughs> my dad will come back to me with notes.
1: With notes, Lots. okay. Of notes. That's totally fair too. That's totally fair too. Um, well, you know, that's how we get better, right? That's how we get stronger through criticism. Um, so, uh, I think it's pretty obvious that with all of the attention that's being sustained on sort of this coronavirus pandemic impacting the globe, we would want to spend a lot of time dedicated this to our first podcast. Um, and so, you know, everyone kind of knows what's going on in this own, in our own country. Um, but at NIAC, we also work Diligently to ensure that the policies of the United States don't impact the country of our heritage, Iran, and Iran has been one of the worst-struck countries, uh, and they are dealing with the pandemic not well, but uh, you know, largely owed to. Government mismanagement, but also compounded by US sanctions. And so Nyak has been sort of in the weeds on this issue for quite some time. And Jamal, I was wondering if you could just kind of give us an overview of what's going on and what what what's been what's being done on the advocacy front.
2: So for you know, for years we have we and 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 many others, many uh Organizations from Human Rights Watch to the Special Rapporteur on Human Rights uh, in Iran uh, to relief organizations have talked about the fact that sanctions on Iran undermine uh, the healthcare sector there, uh, undermine the ability for Iran to import medicine, to import medical goods. This is a matter of fact, and yet in Washington, D.C., it is up for debate whether uh, sanctions that are explicitly designed to hurt ordinary people that are explicitly designed to collapse Iran's economy, whether they have an impact on Iran's ability to import medical goods or not. Um, and I, you know, it's a shame that we have to actually talk about this even, but that's, that's what the debate is in Washington. Um, right now with Iran facing one of the, the, the biggest outbreaks of coronavirus, um, There have been a number of organizations, um, officials uh, urging for sanctions to be uh, suspended because they were hindering Iran's uh, ability to to fight coronavirus. Uh, Then we had China calling for it. Um, We had uh, Britain quietly uh, pushing the United States to suspend sanctions. Uh, Then we had uh, uh, Pakistan's prime minister on Twitter asking the U.S. to suspend sanctions uh, and the response from the U.S. government. I mean, you know, predictably, the the Trump administration has piled more sanctions on Iran since the country has begun to struggle with coronavirus. Uh, And so what we and other organizations and members of Congress are doing are are continuing to push the administration. You know, uh, we have now called for a 120-day suspension of U.S. sanctions on Iran.
1: I mean, and so what you say actually kind of segues perfectly into a segment that, you know, we'd love to try called Chimigi, which for my non-Farsi and or Persian-speaking friends means, what do you say?
2: I thought, tell me if you're up for this. I think it would be good to actually read the, uh, the Wall Street Journal's editorial um, where they are calling for the U.S. not to suspend sanctions and they have all the good talking points in place and I thought it would be interesting to go through that and kind of uh, see, see where we land with this. Does that, sound, does that sound okay to you?
1: We can totally do that.
2: We'll see if it works. If it doesn't, we'll cut it.
1: Yeah, well, this is the best part. Okay. I just have to find it.
2: So I have it right in front of me.
1: Well, I don't, of course you do.
2: Because, Wall you know, I'm a longtime subscriber of the Wall, the Wall Street Journal. Um, I
1: have a big I stock portfolio. I actually canceled my subscription when I saw that editorial. Uh, <laughs>
2: you never had a subscription. I, mean,
1: I absolutely did. I pay $6 a month for it. Wow. Yeah. I, I yeah. steal
2: the Wall Street Journal.
1: I, should we be admitting that loudly? <laughs> um, well, Gemma, I'm going to let you go through it.
2: Uh, So no time to end Iran sanctions. The regime is responsible for its people suffering. Uh, And just from the outset, nobody's saying that the regime, the evil regime is not responsible for the Iranian people's suffering. Um, That is not the debate here. Uh, But let the straw men begin. Uh, So that's the first one. So it starts, uh, Iranian proxy forces in Iraq continue to lob rockets into U.S. bases with deadly results. But amid the coronavirus, Iranian leaders want the U.S. to ease sanctions on the country in the name of compassion. Uh, President Trump should resist the plea. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because compassion. Uh, (laughs) Compassion. (laughs) <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. If American sanctions were the culprit, it might be reasonable to consider lifting them. But the regime's incompetence and self-interest are to blame. So, again, this is not a binary discussion of whether it is sanctions or the regime. Uh that is just—that's <laughs> such a uh, a disingenuous way to frame the debate and to view the world. And that is exactly mm-hmm. what we deal with with the Iran debate. It's always, if you can find something more evil that trumps the other person's argument, then you win. So if, if I say sanctions are hurting people and you can say yes, but look how bad the Iranian government is, then you win the argument. And so sanctions aren't hurting people. Um, mm. So—
1: it's just interesting that some of these points that they try to sort of hammer home, you know, for example, sanctions didn't require the country's leaders to keep Friday prayers going for longer, far longer than was safe. I mean, these are issues that I'm sorry, but we are facing here in the United States as well. Bars were open far too long. Uh, you know, our airports are still operating. Yeah, people are not flying. But I think that largely our leadership here has been fairly incompetent. And we have shortages and we don't even have sanctions on us. You know what I'm saying,
2: right, like there is this perfect way to respond to the coronavirus, and everybody is nailing it, but Iran once again screwed it up because you know they're they're having Friday prayers and things like that, like everybody has screwed up the the and and I don't think this should diminish that you know Iran did well and they're going to get into it, but Iran did try to play it down uh Donald Trump tried to play it down too. I mean, you know, I, I thought we were going to be down to zero cases by now, and let's talk. Uh, come this, you know, come come Easter. Let's talk where we're at. Like everybody is scrambling to deal with this situation. Um, and that doesn't diminish any accountability for anybody that's screwed things up. Uh, but I also think it's interesting how US policy has played a role, even in the things that the Wall Street Journal is saying, sanctions did not have a role in. So they say mm-hmm. sanctions didn't force the government to play down the virus threat to boost uh, turnout for parliamentary elections in February. That's true. Sanctions didn't force the government to play down the virus threat. But I think and, – and I don't think this is the winning line of argument, but I think it's worth exploring this. Okay, why are they trying to boost the turnout for parliamentary elections? Iran did have an election in 2017 before the sanctions came online, before maximum pressure, before the U.S. abandoned the nuclear deal um, that had uh, – uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the number – had um, – I think it's like around 75% turnout, give or take, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, massive turnout. And, you know, people obviously inside of Iran, there is, um, you know, especially now great disillusionment and frustration with the government. Mm -hmm. Um, But that doesn't mean that before maximum pressure and this campaign to try to make people disillusioned with any form of progress other than regime collapse or capitulation um but before that happened there was a political process playing out and we were seeing how that process was actually uh uh improving the lives of iranians actually got this nuclear deal actually got the sanctions suspended and the hope was that you know The energy from the grieve movement that then got channeled into the energy behind the 2013 elections and then got channeled behind the nuclear deal was going to progressively make life better for Iranians and moderate Iran's policies. And that did mean that it did confer a degree of legitimacy to Iran's elections, which we all know are flawed, but people at least were bought into them because they saw how those elections could change things. Now you fast forward to 2020 and people are saying, No, the elections had played no difference. We elected this person, he went and negotiated with the West, and we are in a worse situation today than we were back then because nothing we do gives us any agency over our lives. And so we Mm -hmm. might as well just be frustrated and throw our hands up and, you know, demand the collapse of this regime without any sense of, okay, what comes next? That's that's where U.S. policymakers want the Iranians to be. And so with Iran, the, the system grappling for legitimacy, you know, and and, and dealing with maximum pressure and this, you know, attempt at an existential threat at its existence. Yes, I think the regime was trying to boost turnout because people are so disillusioned right now. And they are in this pressure cooker situation. That doesn't absolve Iran's government, but we still have to at least acknowledge while we may not be the ones that are shaping this directly, our fingerprints are all over it. Mm -hmm. So we cannot pretend like we're not a part of this. Then they say, Sanctions didn't let Mahan Air keep at least 55 flights from China to Iran between February 4th and 23rd. Well, no, sanctions didn't do that. But Iran is so dependent on China economically because of sanctions. They are beholden to China. And Iranians are pissed about this. Ordinary Iranians are pissed off about the, the Chinese trinkets that have flooded the market and how dependent Iran is on China because it's the one of the few lifelines this economy has. And so when Iranian authorities had to decide whether or not to, uh, to suspend those flights, yeah, they should have done it. But guess what? That would have had an economic impact. And Iran has less maneuverability because of sanctions still. That's not that's not the argument here, though. That's not why we're calling for the suspension of sanctions. That may be why we think this is a dumb policy that's not actually working. But that's not what the issue is here today. So we'll let the Wall Street Journal have that one. And then, uh, nor did sanctions stop the regime from imposing broader regional or national lockdowns. Now, here, I actually think this is this is um, this is as close to wrong as any of those arguments because, you know as we're looking at here here in our own country, if we are going to uh, require people to shelter in place, that's going to mean people are going to lose their jobs um, or they're going to be furloughed. And that's going to mean that either we provide the social safety net for them to be able to survive, to be able to feed their kids and pay their rent um, or they're not going to survive. And we just passed what a $2 trillion bill to hopefully make it so that we can continue to keep people from going out and spreading this virus. But that requires a robust economy. It requires public assistance. um, And it's taxing on the economy. For Iran, the economy is in shambles. Now, as we always have to say, yes, that is government mismanagement. And everybody knows this regime has all kinds of problems. And I really wish that there was greater ways to hold the regime accountable, et cetera, et cetera. But my elected government, the U.S. government, is putting sanctions on Iran that are certainly contributing to the economic problems that the country is facing. I think that uh, – I I think any reasonable person would say that. I think even Pompeo himself, Mm -hmm. if it was a matter of touting maximum pressure, would talk about and has talked about how much the sanctions are squeezing Iran's economy. So if Iran is going to implement this lockdown they are making the same decision that Donald Trump is making, where he's he's talking about um, you know, the, the cure can't be as bad as the disease. Well, for Iran, if they had locked down the country, they would need to then figure out how they were going to provide the social safety net so that people wouldn't die uh, and or the economy wouldn't collapse. And because they're in this maximum pressure uh, sanctions cooker, um, they d- delayed doing that. Uh, and we're seeing the same thing happen over here in the United States. So to try to divorce those things and make it seem like, no, we're just dealing with this entity that is just pure evil and there's no cost-benefit, there's no rationale, and there's no uh, connective tissue between the decisions they're making and this massive sanctions regime that is isolating Iran is just it, – it completely defies any you know reasonable thought process. And it's just – it's a way of clouding the debate so that we're talking about this in moral terms. Iran mm. is bad. The government is bad. Not actual terms of what are our policies doing? How are our policies impacting these things? And how can we actually make sure we're not part of that problem?
1: Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. So today on the inaugural NIAC podcast, we have Dr. Payam Parvinchiha, who's an internal medicine doctor in Southern California, and our very own research fellow, Dr. Asal Vrad. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi, Hi, great to be here. Thanks. Um, So Payam, I was wondering, so you're, you know, you're a doctor, you're working on the ground. So what's the situation like right now? What are you seeing?
3: Yeah. So, you know, I'm a doctor and I provide primary care to uh, seniors who live in sort of nursing homes and assisted livings. Um, So you can imagine some of the sort of most concerned and most vulnerable um, population um, I don't work in the hospital, so I'm not, uh, you know, I don't have the experience on the front lines in terms of uh, the actual patients. But, you know, uh, as you would imagine, what I'm seeing is a lot of fear. Um, a lot of these seniors um, are isolated from their loved ones. So in the sort of moment when they need sort of social support the most, they're getting the least. And so we're actually embracing ourselves for a big mental health sort of um, pandemic uh in addition to the sort of uh, virus related illnesses
1: yeah that's uh that's actually really interesting and i think SLU probably will have more to add to it but i think it also speaks to sort of how this society american society values or doesn't value elderly people whereas i think with persians we revere you know our grandparents and our older ones um so i think that's that's kind of a fascinating it's a
0: fascinating avenue SL. What are you seeing on the ground in SoCal? Well, you know the this epi- this pandemic has uh, two issues. There's the the first and most important part, which is the health issue, um, but it's also adding a layer, which is the economic issue. And what's interesting, and in what we're seeing in our administration and the way they're they're trying to sort of toe the line between these sides. To your point, it really begs the question of how much we value, um, you know, life first of all, but especially um, the lives of these older citizens. Because if we're sort of willing to sacrifice them because of our fears of what's going to happen to the economy, then I I think that speaks a lot to our values. Yeah.
1: Payam, you said something really interesting about how this is sort of, this might be the beginning of a mental health pandemic. Um, What are you seeing? What does that look like?
3: You know, well, in in its um, acute stage, I think the sort of the overwhelming anxiety related to the uncertainty um, has become a sort of common um, sort of symptom and issue that we're dealing with. As clinicians across the population, young and old, um, we're just seeing a huge influx of sort of concerning calls, requests around um, people manifesting manifesting signs of um, anxiety. Uh, What will develop over time as this quarantine and the more more social isolation continues. Because remember, even if sort of the quarantine measures are removed, um, these senior communities are going to be for, you know, a a significant amount of time still in an isolation phase. Um, And so we're just going to see a lot less contact between um, seniors and their loved ones and their families. And uh, loneliness, uh, you know, there's a lot of literature out of UCSF uh, that talks about how loneliness can have uh, as significant an impact on health as do, does smoking cigarettes. So that's those are the type of things we're kind of um, looking to try to prevent.
1: No. I mean, Payam, for you, it's, it's almost twofold, right? Because you're dealing with your own sort of personal quarantine and your own uh, dealing with all of the anxieties that are happening, but you're also faced with other people's. So how do you manage that?
3: Yeah, you know, I think the big um, sort of the answer to the question you asked earlier is, um, you know, while self-care is important, uh, this is the time that I think we all need to start thinking about our responsibility for others' care, um, right? Our natural instinct, especially in our generation, is, you know, kind of protect myself, do what I need to for myself, you know, which, which has served us well. But um, this is the time when, You know, while taking care of yourself is important, um, you know, if you have a loved one, if you have a senior in your life, if you have someone vulnerable, uh, finding ways to reach out to them, write them a letter, uh, you know, send a picture of your kid, FaceTime with them. You know, I had someone yesterday message me on LinkedIn. She's collecting little um, drawings by children that she's delivering to nursing homes with the parent's phone number, asking them to, you know, a stranger to FaceTime them. And, uh, you know, willing to, you know, have their kids talk to seniors. So I think these are the efforts um, where we sort of consider other people's needs over ours. Mm -hmm. I saw saw a supermarket that, you know, had a note saying, you know, if you're a senior citizen, we have extra stock in the back just for you, right? Recognizing the people who are really going to be impacted by this and trying to figure out a way to help them.
0: Yeah, I really like that. Um, I love that because I also think you can sort of extrapolate that thought to, to an international community, right? It's just mm-hmm. the idea of community, the idea of you know, this pandemic is something that, at least in our generation, I don't think any of us have faced anything like this. I talk to my own parents; they say it all the time, it's like we don't remember anything like this. And it's really a moment to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to turn it into something where we're going to have this kumbaya moment and everyone's going to unify. But at the same time, if we can take the mentality that we're not just in it for ourselves and we're trying to help p- others then we can you know, extend that outside of our own borders even because there are specific nations that are um, being hit the hardest. Uh, and you know, uh, we're as strong as our weakest state because as long as this virus is proliferating and it's out, then it, it mm-hmm. will continue to hurt everyone. So I, I just really like the idea of, of course, yours is like a, Payam, you brought up this like micro example of it. And it's so nice. It's actually nice to hear some good news. For a change in some of the stuff that you hear every day. But that's like a beautiful thing to have people, just strangers, reaching out to these people who are being isolated.
1: Yeah, that's lovely. Um, but I guess that sort of begs a question then. Uh, Asal, you mentioned this sort of international cooperation, but when we look at how various states, various countries have handled the pandemic, we're seeing that some, you know, like South Korea, have definitely had more success And I'm wondering, Payam, if you have any insight as to why it is that the U.S. is in the state that it is. I mean, our healthcare system is definitely lackluster. um, And and I know we can, like, complain about that for hours, but what do you think? Uh,
3: Yeah, there was a great article. You know, I'm definitely not an expert on the topic, but there was a great article in The Atlantic um, yesterday, uh, kind of basically detailing out exactly that. And it all revolved around, so, you know— Countries and organizations do sort of modeling of pandemics pretty consistently. I mean, this is not something we were not expecting Um, Mm. uh, You know, if you go on Netflix, there's uh, four of the top movies or pandemic documentaries Um, But so what it turns out is is the failure of testing um, That article identifies as the original sin of what's happening Um, in all models Uh, the assumption had always been that when a pandemic like this would happen, um, we'd have immediate broad testing capabilities. Um, So what you're seeing in South Korea is, uh, you know, they dealt with a similar pandemic. So you got to remember in Hong Kong, South Korea, a lot of Asian countries, this isn't new. Uh, While we watched it from afar in the news, uh, they went through versions of this with MERS, with SARS, um, with avian flu. And they were just kind of crazy pictures for us in the news that we kind of didn't pay attention to. But South Korea, for example, I think it was with MERS or SARS, um, went through a national sort of emergency. Uh, The government got, um, you know, I don't know the exact history, but, you know, the, the government in power basically lost power because of the epidemic they dealt with. So when this hit this time, they immediately sort of suspended all sort of regulations. They got everyone involved. Um, You know, the personal protective equipment they immediately had on hand, Um, testing was broadly available, and it's how they were able to manage so well, which is what we failed at um, resoundingly.
1: I don't know if you guys saw this, uh, but both the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal both put out editorial board pieces last night, uh, where the New York Times is advocating for the U.S. to lift sanctions on Iran during the pandemic, and the Wall Street Journal said the exact opposite and said this is not the time to lift sanctions. And so it's actually kind of interesting to see even these institutions coming out very hard on one side or another. Um, but I, it's it's an interesting thought. You know, we are struggling with shortages, but you know, it's certainly not owed to any other country sanctioning us. Um, and so saw I don't know if you or Payam have any thoughts about what Iran is struggling through right now that's compounded by U.S. sanctions.
0: Well, so obviously there's the, the fact that sanctions have impeded the ability for humanitarian aid, right? Medicines, medical supplies, those things getting into Iran. And there's a narrative within the U.S. that says uh, humanitarian aid is exempt, but you know, even the U.S. Treasury a few weeks ago eased restrictions on the Central Bank of Iran because of the coronavirus pandemic. So that implicitly sort of is telling you they know that these transactions aren't taking place. Uh, it doesn't matter that on paper it says that humanitarian aid is exempt. De facto, what's happening on the ground is we're not a, they're not able to have any bank transactions, and so no one is taking the risk of violating U.S. sanctions. But... There's a lot more layers to it than that, right? It's not as simple as just humanitarian aid. If you look at the United States as your example right now, you go to stores, shelves are empty. Um, You see Americans in a state of panic for an impending economic disaster. In Iran, that economic disaster has already come to pass, right? They're already in uh, deep economic decline because of sanctions, and they already have limited uh, supplies because of sanctions. On top of that, there is the fact that people cannot afford even to buy the materials that may or may not be available to them because of the devastation to the economy. So we're worried about where unemployment is going to go. They already have all of these numbers stacked against them. So one of the things that also impedes their ability to really lock the country down and stop Uh, the spread of the virus, is that economically it's unfeasible. They don't have the material support to be able to help anybody in that circumstance. So there's a lot of problems and layers of problems that are being compounded in the the case of Iran. And the calls that are going out are humanitarian in nature. This isn't something that's unique to, um, you know, uh, not only in the U.S. itself. You have people like Bernie Sanders, Ilhan Omar, uh, AOC, Ayanna Pressley, Elizabeth Warren, who are all coming out and saying we need to temporarily lift shank- sanctions so that we can so Iran can combat this this virus, but also international calls from other states as well as the UN. So there's a there's a lot to be said about the the idea of you know what it means for the U.S. to continue to have sanctions on a country that is fighting this pandemic right now.
3: You know, I'll, I'll just contribute. There was a, uh, a nice piece I read um, you know, comparing <clears throat> Trump to, you know, an autocrat. And and it got to this idea of until people recognize the effect on their own life, um, they won't really sort of uh, empathize with the situation. So in this case, it was a husband and wife where the wife, um, I guess the husband had died and the wife, uh, due to the taking the medicines that Trump had sort of mentioned would be safe and the patient had died and the, and the lady said, you know, um, you know, I'll never trust this man again. And the article was making the point that until people kind of see it in their own lives, they don't actually um, connect with it. And so, uh, you know, with sanctions, I don't think as Americans we've ever experienced shortage, right? Especially in healthcare, we've never, you know, not had supplies. Like, you know, for us doctors, the fact that we don't have protective equipment is blasphemous. I mean, the internal conversations is just like disgust and disdain for whatever is responsible. But I hope that after afterwards, you know, when confronted with, you know, things in Iran where they say, you know, doctors don't have enough medical equipment. Um, now we'll know what that feels like and being able to understand what that feels like on a day to day um, you know, occurrence as opposed to in the middle of a pandemic like this, maybe, you know, people will have a different uh, connection to it and the, and the tide will shift.
1: I mean, I think that's certainly true. We keep talking about how, you know, viruses know no boundaries or cultures or languages, and it certainly seems that shortages don't either. Uh, and, you know, I think it's, it's astounding that, you know, the so-called self-named greatest country in the world doesn't have enough masks to give out to our healthcare workers. I think it's it it's well, quite sad.
3: Yeah, it's it, you know the fascinating part about the shortages um, comes from uh, you know again uh, the affected areas. So so Wuhan, China, is one of the major producers of uh, face masks for the healthcare industry, um, and apparently uh, the region in Lombardy, Italy is one of the major producers of something that helps build vaccines or, or something else. Um, but it turned out sort of that some of these major areas were actually the big manufacturing sites for what we need. Um, so, and again, it, it just points to the global supply chain and the importance of you know having redundancies and um, open markets and, and goods being able to flow without restriction um, regardless of, uh, you know, Iran in a different situation could have been a huge source of materials. Right, um, opening up as much uh, markets as possible is is essential.
1: Yeah, I, I I wonder, and you know, I don't I don't want to daydream too much, but I do wonder if the U.S. had adhered to the Iran deal and Iran still was part of this global market, how the situation would look for them right now. You know. Um,
0: Sorry, I was just going to add, you know, um, I think, you know, to Payam's point and to what we're talking about, what what this pandemic really points to, and we talked about it earlier, was that it is, I mean, it's global in nature. That's what a pandemic is. Mm -hmm. And to really be able to face it and to, you know, uh, galvanize a response that is appropriate, you need a global response. And... That requires, and this is why you're seeing this sentiment be echoed by so many states, by so many international organizations that say, you know, this is a time, even if temporarily you want to lift sanctions, you should. Why? Because this is not a political issue. This is not a Republican issue. This is not a Democrat issue. This is not a a religious issue. This is an issue that has to do with public health and its global in scale. So really we're constantly hindering our own ability to fight it. And like we talked about earlier, we said, you know, this should be a moment where we stop thinking about just ourselves and we start thinking about other people. But even beyond that, even if you want to look at it through, you know, for lack of a better word, a selfish lens, even if that's the lens through which you want to look at it, in reality, our best chance is in fighting together. So as long as we allow certain areas to sort of run, run rampant with the with the virus and let it spread, then we are at risk. As long as we are not tapping into, as Payam so, you know, articulately pointed out, uh, as long as we're not tapping into all of the resources that are available to us, then we are not helping ourselves. We're we're worsening our own cause.
1: Um, well, I think, you know, it's still early, I think, in what's going on, especially here in the U.S. We're only sort of revving up and I guess, you know, they're expecting the next few weeks to really reveal the m- magnitude of what we're going to be dealing with. But I think it's safe to say, we are not coming out of this, the same society that we went in. You know, we millennials especially like to talk a lot and myself included about how nine 11 really changed our worldview and the framework within which we live. But, you know, I think we may have been hit with something even bigger now. So I guess we hold tight and, you know, Payam, you mentioned some really, really happy things. And I think that there are, there are, you know, you do see the best of humanity come out a lot. I think one of my favorite stories was, uh, I don't know if you guys watched uh, Project Runway back in the day, but uh, one of the designers uh, has turned his little shop in New York into mask sewing places. So he has 10 dedicated, uh, I don't know, sewers essentially. Um, I don't know what they're, tailors. Uh, and so that's what—that's all they do now. Um, and so we do see these sort of segments of humanity as like beauty and this cooperation that I don't think we would see ordinarily. So I think that's happy. But so Payam and Asal, if they're, I mean, what, what do you guys want to say to the community right now? Our community here, maybe our loved ones in Iran, any advice, tips, words of encouragement? Mm, um,
3: Thank and appreciate your nurses. Um, While doctors are important in this, uh, what the the true heroes in this tragedy are going to be Uh, The nurses who are going to end up having very integral, continuous contact with patients who are positive, um, more so than anyone else, uh, that is the workforce that's going to be in short supply um, and the workforce that's going to be strained emotionally, physically, um, and in every way possible. So if you know a nurse, if you uh, know a nurse, especially who's going to the hospital, um, you know, I saw a note uh, where a nurse uh, had a note dropped off at her door saying, hey, I know you work so hard. Uh, Let us know. We can come walk your dog. Um, Let us know if you want toilet paper. And, you know, the the nurse was like, I had to call them and say, yes, please come walk my dog because I'm in the hospital, you know, so much. So if you know a nurse, go take care of them.
0: Mm. I think that's that's an excellent point. Um, Just this idea that we need to help each other. And, you know, and specifically right now, whether it's Iran, whether it's the U.S., we need to stay home we need to follow the guidelines we need to you know practice social distancing and as difficult and challenging as this is i think what Payam's point really highlights is that these are choices that we make so to support if we really want to support our healthcare workers we need to listen and stay home yeah. and if we want to stop this pandemic from hurting people globally then we have choices we have the power to affect this and you know i'm just hoping that people will take that Responsibility where people's lives are really on the line. That's great.
1: All right. Well, I think what we have definitely
0: hammered home in this is
1: everybody stay home. <laughs> um, but no, this was a great conversation. Payam, thank you so much for joining us. I hope that we can have you back as, uh, you know, we have some developments and, you know, stay safe and stay sane. I think that You brought up a really great point about us, you know, taking care of our own mental health and being really aware of everyone around us. Um, Nassal, as always, thanks for being who you are. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Mana. Great being with you guys. Bye.